Welcome, everyone. It's another great episode, Doing Business with a Servant's Heart. And this is a brother from faith. I love this guy. Uh, he's definitely a servant in many parts of his life, including his business. I want to welcome Clayton to the to our show today. Welcome, Clayton. Thanks, Steve. Glad I'm happy to be here. Me too. I, it's We've had a few talks and, and I've learned a little bit about you, but I'm excited to learn more. But you have the Unity Guide. Let's go back to the beginning. What's your background like and why did you jump into all this? Yeah, so back to the beginning, um, actually would take me back to working at my church. Uh, it was my first time um, working for a visionary and with a visionary uh, type person. I was so excited to join the team there. And uh, until, to be honest, I got in there and I was like, wow, this is a little bit chaotic. <laughs> There's just really not a whole lot of, of structure here. And I really, um, I had to just be really transparent. I had to um, check myself because I was uh, quite frustrated uh, and I had to be careful that I didn't get bitter about the lack of structure and organization because I'm a very logical person. Uh, I like systems. I like to have all that working. Um, so since then, I've worked for seven uh, or with seven visionaries uh, over the years and later discovered something called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, uh, which really put into words a lot of the things that I was frustrated about uh, at the church and, and why I was, and it helped me to realize that I have a gift uh, that I can bring uh, to the world to help bring structure and systems and, and clarity to a business. So that's kind of where, where it all started way back 16 years, well, 15 years ago uh, when I started working at the church. Well, I love the word gift because that's much different than than selling. As we've talked about, we'd rather serve than sell. But how many telling people say, hey, I'm going to give you a gift, my business. It's a cool way of presenting it to people because you truly are giving a gift because you're helping them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I love about it. And we've talked about this. I, I think we could talk about you had a tragedy tragedy in your life. Um, if you don't mind talking about it and how it's changed you, because I'm sure people in the audience are going to hear they've had catastrophic events happen in their life as well and are still struggling to try to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I worked at that church for seven years. And um, in 2014, my wife and I, after two years of trying to get pregnant, finally did. And my wife went into labor after, uh, I think she was 38 and a half weeks, so pretty much full term. And, uh, you know, everything was fine. The baby was good through the whole thing. Um, but then what happened was uh, they said we needed to do a C-section. And when they got him out, he wasn't breathing. And we were shocked, uh, as were the doctors. No one expected it. I was like getting hit by a bus. I ended up, uh, they made me leave the room for, for a little bit while they were trying to resuscitate him. And 10 minutes later, they brought me back in. He still wasn't breathing. My wife was in shock. Um, and, uh, in the end it took 17 minutes to resuscitate him. Uh, and he, he lived for about 35 hours and, and then he died and it really, um, was a hard, <laughs> very hard thing to go through, uh, really, um, challenged my faith that really, uh, you know, it was a very, very tough season. I ended up leaving working at the church at that time. I just needed a sabbatical to get 
to get healthy and to, to grieve and to deal with that. So, um, but yeah, it changed, it changed me. It made me a better, you know, in, in the end, at first it made me quite bitter and angry. Yeah. To be honest. Uh, and it really challenged my faith. It made me question a lot of things, but in the end it drove my faith deeper. Uh, I think it made me uh, a more compassionate and caring person and a better dad. And in the end, you know, God's using it for good in a lot of ways. Um, but it was kind of a transition point in my life where I, I ended up not going back to the ministry and ended up working in a construction company. And uh, so that's kind of that story. I appreciate it. I'm tearing up a little because I've heard this story before, but you're so the passion and, and, and I love the 35 hours that they lived. You didn't talk about the other side because there's two ways you could talk about it. And I'm not going to delve into it too more. And so I'm getting a tear in my eye because it's so great how you said that, man. I, I love you even more brother, because that's just powerful how you said that. Now people that's major. You pivoted by going to construction. What else did you learn? What else did you take from that to help you grow? And of course, start moving forward in your life and be where you are today. Um, well, I'll just share a couple of things that I, I learned about grieving because I think there might be somebody on this this listening that might have, you know, might be going through something similar or supporting someone similar. So one thing I, I learned is that grief is like waves. Uh, you can't, you know, at first the waves are big yeah. and they're often and you can't stop them. They're coming, right? And they're coming hard and you, you can't really control it. Um so, you know, sometimes you're feeling okay and other times you're completely a mess and you can't, uh, you can't really function. Um, but what I've experienced over the eight years since and almost eight and a half years um, is that the waves get smaller and the waves get less often. I still get them, right? I still, we have friends that had a, a baby boy the same month, right? And when I'm around their kids, you know, uh, I love kids. So, you know, it's great, but at times a wave hits me and it's like, I should yes. have my son's name was Nolan. I should have had a son that age. Um, so, I, I, you know, if you're going through it, like that's, it's just reality, right? And and don't feel bad when you have a moment where you can't control yourself. Like that's just part of it. Um, the other thing I'll say on the other side of it, if you're supporting somebody who's going through grief, um, less is more, you know, don't feel like you have to say something to make them feel better because it's not going to work, right? Like nothing you say can make them feel better. But what you can do to make them feel better is just love them, right? Just just be Amen. there. Just say, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're going through this. This really sucks, but I love you. You know, how can I, how can I help you? And the reality is people that are grieving probably won't ask for help. Um, so just help them anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, their, no. Shovel, shovel their <laughs> shovel their driveway, you know, uh drop food on their, you know, on their step, right? Like just do it because they're not going to ask for help. Typically they can hardly get out of bed. Right. Yeah. So just serve uh, and love them. And, and the last thing I'll say about it is, um, you know, my son's name is Nolan. And when one of my friends uh, now eight and a half years later says, you know what, I still think about Nolan sometimes. Right. And uh, you know, it, it just, it's nice that someone else remembers right? Because everybody else moves on, right? So if someone out there remembers, you know, and takes the time to shoot you a text on his birthday or something, you know, and that's really uh, encouraging. So yeah. what a powerful legacy for 35 hours 
people years later are still, I mean, if that's not an angel in my eyes from God, it is. I'm just going to say it. It's, and it's so powerful. And I love the wave analogy because you ride a wave, let it ride, and it goes away. Is that kind of what you're thinking? When you, that's what I'm getting from you is that. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, they just, the, I see the waves as kind of a negative feeling, like an overwhelmed, like yeah. shocks, just, they hit you, right? They keep hitting you and they're coming hard and fast and regular. Uh, you know, it's hard at the start, right? But over time, it, it does flow. Yeah. So with that, that, and I appreciate you being so transparent. I'm sure the audience does too. I know it's not always easy, but again, he's left a great legacy. Um, how has that helped you now with the unity guide? Has there been lessons you've learned maybe helped others or helped yourself with that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's helped me to be more compassionate. Uh, so, you know, what I do mostly now is um, I coach visionaries and what's called an integrator, a second in command, a chief operating officer uh, on how to work together in a healthy way. Um, and I think I learned how to listen, I guess, particularly <laughs> because, because my wife was going through some pretty heavy grief as well. And, you know, a, a, a man and a woman are very different, <laughs> right? Yes. They, 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 they process things differently, typically, like this is generalizations. It's not always true, but generally this is true. Uh, a man, a man doesn't like to talk about their grief, right? They don't like to talk about uh, problems, you know, like they just want to fix it and move on. Right. That's typical, right? A, a woman want, needs to talk about it. They like to verbally process things, right? They just need to communicate and, and eventually that the, you know, you know, they, they figure it out. They don't want me to fix it. A woman doesn't want the husband to fix it necessarily. Right. But anyways, I think that journey of grief and like my wife and I went through a season where she felt like, do you even care? Right. Like you're not talking about it anymore. Do you even care? Uh, it, it, it helped us, you know, to learn how to have healthy conversations and how to relate to each other, though we're very different. Mm -hmm. Right. And that translates right over to the visionary and integrator really easily because the visionary they're usually an ideas person they're high level they're emotional you know they're um usually really good at sales and you know big picture thinking research and development like all of that kind of thing which is great and a company really needs that but they usually are not good at details and structure and systems and logic and all the things that also a company needs and the vision the integrator is usually very good at that so I use in my coaching, I, I use analogies in marriage a lot because the women, the woman and man are very different. The visionary and the integrator are different. They can bonk heads and fight, uh, you know, and, and not see eye to eye. Um, so I think this journey of grief and pain and seeing the things, seeing things so differently has helped me learn how to have a better marriage, but it's very transferable, yeah. you know, to the visionary uh, integrator dynamic as well, because both, both are needed, right? Like when, when a company's small, you know, like let's say less than five people, the visionary can drive it. It usually is started by a, by a visionary type. Uh, they can drive it. Like it's all in the strength of their, their will and their passion and their mm -hmm. enthusiasm. Right. And that's fine when there's three to five people or less because they're connected with everybody and they're involved with everybody all the time. 
But when it gets to eight or 10 or 15 or 20, it doesn't work so good anymore, right? Mm -hmm. You really, you really need that logic and details person yeah. to shore things up and build systems and processes so that uh, it's more scalable and because you'll start seeing cracks, right? Ooh. Right in the company uh, as things grow. And, and then visionaries like to just band-aid things, right? And not solve them in a systematic way, uh, which is fine at first, but eventually you'll start limiting your growth because of that, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, and it's temporary. It's not a permanent fix. And that's the problem. Then it goes away, comes back. Yeah. Probably bigger. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's talk about the Unity Guide, your business. So let's shout out uh, your contact info. People resonate, want to reach out to you. You know, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can check mm -hmm. me out. There. Um, but my uh, my phone number is seven eight zero four four six nine one seven two, and my email is Clayton at theunityguide.com, and that's my website as well, theunityguide.com. You can check me out there. Let's talk about the Unity Guide. So I'm a integrator, got a company. I'm coming aboard your coaching. How do I get started? Let's walk through the five minute so people can understand what you really do and how powerful it is. Yeah. Yeah. So when I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with an integrator, typically uh, it's once a week for, you know, three months is usually how I, how I start. And what I'll do is just have a conversation with you firstly, just to see where you're, see where you're at, uh, understand, you know, kind of your strengths and weaknesses and the challenges mm -hmm. that you're, to be honest, most integrators, I ask them what their biggest challenge is. Usually it's the relationship with the originary uh, is their biggest challenge. It's, it's not that uncommon. Uh, there's usually some frustrations there and some, some unhealthiness in that relationship, right? So quite often, you know, after I coach a, an integrator for a season, then I'll coach both the visionary and the integrator together uh, on how to optimize that relationship. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put this book out. If you've read this before rocket fuel by Gino Wickman and Mark Winters, you know, they talk about how those two, the visionary and integrator can be rocket fuel for the business. And it's true. When I read this book, it, it really genuinely changed my life. Uh, but it only works if you can figure out not how not to do this and how to do this. Right. So, um, yeah. So quite often I end up kind of coaching them a little bit about how to relate with the visionary and how to, you know, make that relationship work really well. Um, but otherwise I'm, you know, just IDSing, they'll understand that issue, um, you know, identify, discuss and solve issues with them and, and give them, you know, my perspective on the different challenges that they're having. And it's still effective. You bring the integrator in and the visionary doesn't want to meet. You've still done some really good with that integrator for those weeks that you've worked with them, correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it can have a big impact um, on the journey and, but sometimes need a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Tell me a great story. Uh, you've got a great client that you've helped and, you know, kind of, if you could tell their background, their story and sure. what their problems were and how you solved it. Yeah. So uh, I'll tell my first integrator client that I had, his name was Chris and he was referred to me by his, his EOS implementer. He was, new in the role as an integrator basically what happens they had their quarterly meeting and he the the implementer was explaining what an integrator was and everybody pointed at him and <laughs> he was like oh, okay i guess i'm the integrator right and he yeah. got promoted into that role 
and uh, everyone thought he was a good fit, and, and he was. But the challenge was that he'd never done that kind of a role before, right? He'd never been an, an integrator before, been a chief operating officer, that kind of a role. So he just needed someone to come alongside him and and answer questions and help him to to get his get his uh, kind of get his footing under him. Um, one of the things I like to do as well when I coach someone like that is is talk to the visionary. So I had a call with his visionary, <laughs> Lucas, and I asked Lucas, "So what do you think? Like, what do you think he needs to work on?" And Lucas was like, "You know what? Chris is great. I think he's going to be really good. I think he has the right, you know, the right um, skill, like potential, like uh, potential to." to be good in the role. And I know I need to rip the bandaid off, you know, like, and just release control to him. Cause that's one of the, the things that is supposed to happen in EOS is the visionary has to let go of the vine, they call it, and allow the integrator to use his skills and abilities or her skills and abilities to, to really improve things and run things really well. But he was scared, right. To rip the bandaid off and just let it, let it go. Right. And I said, okay, well, let's, you know, I'll keep working with him, but I think, Probably you guys should have do the do the Unity Rock program as well and and have some coaching together. So through the series of you know both of those things, um, yeah, they got very comfortable and they got very you know um, I guess aligned so that mm -hmm. the very felt comfortable letting go. And I have some testimonials on my LinkedIn about them. Uh, and the EOS implementer even said you know that the leadership team was reaching out to him and saying something's changed. Like these guys are now in their <laughs> own lanes, right? And they're not, you know, they're not now fighting for control or doing end runs around each other. Like they're actually functioning the way that they're supposed to yeah. in the OS. And uh, that's a 350 person company. It's a big company. So it was a big deal for him to take that role. Um, but he's doing, he's doing really well. Something's changed is not always a good comment when you hear from a no, employee. No, like, it was a good thing, right? In this it case, a, it was a good thing. Yeah, it's like really uh, something's changed, Clayton. What is it? Oh, that's a good thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always that's words can be very crazy. Yeah. Um, so you know, so integrator, it's a word I haven't. I've, I know the word, but yeah. in business, is there another? You know, yeah. words that we use for integrator, who, would that be, you said COO is one of them. Who else yeah. would be an integrator? Yeah, usually it's a chief operating officer. It's an operations manager, manager okay. VP of operations or something like that. Yeah. I love that because Marcus Limonis, do you, if you know who he is, he has a show called The Profit. And he talks about people, process, and profits. You got to have all three to be to be a business. And I love what you do because I've watched about 20 of his shows, the process were 99% of the time it's failed. That's the yeah. thing he had to work on the most. Well, right. Maybe 90, 90%. Yeah. Cause the people usually are good. The profits aren't there because the people, you know, the process, you know, he'd walk into a business and go, your warehouse is a mess. How do you find anything? Well, yeah. we just find it. He goes, no, <laughs> they ain't going to fly. Because he invests in the company, so yeah, and if you're going to scale, yeah, you have to have process. Great right? like, point, Clayton. I'm glad you said said that. About a, a company like McDonald's, mm -hmm. right? Like, there's no gray area in how things are done, right? If you buy a franchise, you go for a week to I think they call it Hamburger University to learn how to run McDonald's. There's no you don't get to decide how you run a McDonald's like it's already determined and you just follow it, right? And and that's where most companies get stuck, right? They, it's just not scalable if it's in the visionary's head, 
right? It has to get out of their head and onto paper. And then even better, you need to collaborate as a team to improve that. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, Clayton, from you and listeners and audience, I want you to hear this. If you have an issue with your process or your system, reach out to Clayton, do a discovery call. I'm sure you'll do that. See if it's a fit. Yeah. But do that because it's so powerful. It could go, especially during COVID. I mean, how much could you save companies during COVID with process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's people it, problems during COVID too. True. <laughs> true. Yeah. But if you handle the process, yeah. could the people think somewhat, it's not going to solve itself, but make it easier to solve if your process is better? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When I, and I'm also thinking too, you fix the system process, process, you can fit people in better places because now you have a direct, you have a direction of where you want to go with your system. One of the, one of the biggest issues I think companies have, especially smaller ones that are, you know, maybe, you know, 10 to a hundred uh, is that they don't, there's no clarity, right? Like I come into a company and I ask, do you have a job? Do you have a written job description? No. Right. Well, what, what is your, what's your role? Right. Like people just don't know what they're supposed to do. Right. And there's no, you know, they think they do, they're doing the best that they can, but there's a lack of training. There's a lack of measurement on how things work. Right. Or how, what I'm supposed to like, what my role is and how I'm measured. Right. How are you supposed to know if you're being successful and how are you supposed to, you know, um, as a company, hold anybody accountable mm -hmm. if there's no job description and no way to measure it. Right. So that, that's a big problem. Like the, in, in EOS, there's six components. Right. But um, yeah, these are very common issues. So first thing I do is if I'm I also do fractional integrator roles is I come in and I diagnose what's working, what's not working, what's everybody's role. Does everybody know what they're supposed to be doing and just bring clarity in and then sometimes rearrange who's what yeah. role, re, rejig the roles maybe and just get everybody super clear and then measuring and then. It's off to the races. It's phenomenal how much of a difference this stuff makes. Oh, it sounds like it's getting me excited. Make me want to start a company and hire you. <laughs> Hear that, listeners? No, I'm serious because that I think this is a component that's so important for a startup to take care of in the beginning, and not like you know you need to get sales, but need a system to get the sales, and then market. You know, because everybody puts not everybody, but a lot of people start marketing. Well, get sales first and build your marketing with the sales that you know you get. You can't yeah. put the sales back, but the systems are part of the sale, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing because I want to talk to the experts saying the right thing. <laughs> Let's put that book up. I know we were going to talk about. So again, this is your one of your favorite books. Yeah. Rocket this fuel. One, this one is great. Like if you're a visionary and this is resonating, or you're an integrator type and mm -hmm. this is resonating, like you need you need to read this book. Uh, the other book that explains what EOS is is Traction by Gino Wickman. This book changed my life. Uh, maybe just quickly tell that story. Sure. I worked at a construction company after my after my son died. I worked there three years and we had a visionary as well that was leading it. And he complained to me all the time about everything that was wrong with the company. And after me three years listening to him complain, he wasn't doing much to change anything, right? He, he was trying but a little bit, but really not taking the action he needed to. So I made a list of everything he complained about. And how I would fix another list of how I'd fix it if I were him. We went for coffee. And at the end, he promoted me to the integrator role. <laughs> and he gave me this book because I didn't know what that meant. Right. He said, read this and then we'll chat. And so I read it and I loved it. I fell in love with it. I was like, absolutely, let's do this. So we had 8 million revenue, 20 employees. 
but our profit was very low. 12 months later, after implementing this and having me in the role, we 22 times our net profit. Wow. No change in revenue, no change in staff. So it was just, I believe, clarity, right? Leadership and, you know, proper roles and everyone understanding what their part is in the journey. Uh, and, uh, and everybody was loved. Like it was, it was high engagement. I loved it. My visionary loved it because he made a lot of money that year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you took pretty much the same income or sales income, Yeah, but just same. cut streamline the systems to cut expenses basically. Yeah. Right. Well, we just, we didn't cut expenses. We just got efficient. Like we, everybody just learned their roles. Right. And it just started. And, and I was holding them accountable to do what they were supposed to do. They didn't know what necessarily know what they were supposed to do before. Right. What a great story, because how many times I've heard, hey, I need to double my income. You really didn't do that. You just streamlined everything, which isn't it easy to hit the eight million because you've done it before. Then go eight yeah. million to 20 million. I mean, that's a hard that's an up level. So yeah. you made it really easy on him. He made more money by integrating what you put out there, the systems and stuff. That's a powerful message, Clayton. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I love it, was, it. I loved it. I felt like I especially when I read the second book, Rocket Fuel, I realized the gift that God has given me, you know, to, to serve uh, in this way. Um, and I you just earlier in my life, I felt like I was kind of weird. Like I was different. I felt different from everyone else because my brain worked differently um, until I read these two books. And I was like, ah, huh, that's why God made me this way. This is not a bad thing that makes me different in a bad way. This is something that makes me different and special yeah. God can use this for his good. And I love the order. You started with traction and got traction. Then you read rocket fuel and it gave you rocket fuel to take off. I mean, God's way. It's all I can say is, but coincidence that you read the books in that order. It still would have worked the other way, but kind of yeah. funny how that, that worked that way. Well, we're running out of time here. Um, God, Clayton, I could talk to you all day. I love learning about integration and the COO and operations. Again, if you're in these positions and need help or going in this position, or even if you're in a company and needs help with systems and process, Clayton will sort that out for you and figure that out who he needs to talk to. Cause I've talked to him and that's what he does. That's his servant heart. He will find where the solutions can happen, make it easier on you. That's as invaluable as you can find. So again, thank you for being on the show, Clayton. It's been a blessing. God bless you. But I want you to bless the, the audience one more time, if you don't mind, give us, you've taught us so much, but give us another tip that's got you where we are today that can help the others to help the audience and listeners to help them move forward. Yeah. Uh, the tip I'll give you is whatever thing you're scared of doing, like, uh, for example, a hard conversation that you feel you, you know, you should have with someone, but you're avoiding it. Uh, I've, in my experience, especially the last couple of years, the, that's where the gold is. Like you've got to, instead of running from the hard things, like hard conversations in particular, because if you avoid hard conversations, it, it, it creates a toxic environment and, you know, lots of bad things happen when you do that. So my advice is run towards the hard conversations and have them learn how to do them well and, uh, and have them. And that's where the, I think that's where the gold is.